You haven't even paid me from last time. I haven't watched Halo either. I'm going to summarize Halo Season 2 based on the Watching Now Halo podcast from Couch Soup. This is going to be fun. So Chief could be crazy. <laughs> Cortana's had a facelift. We're a bit mixed. Quan and Soren's story is really boring. Is, is it over yet? Reach is f***ed. Reach for the stars. You all are gonna die. Spartans have a new leader called Ackerson. More like Dickerson. Apparently McKee is alive. She didn't die on screen, so she's probably not dead. Key's definitely not dying. Right, right, right. And the flood is coming. Is the water on this planet? What do I know? You should be listening to the Watching Now Halo podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available. Where's my money, Drew? From the team that brought you the award-winning show Retro Replay and the Emmy-nominated comedy series Con Man comes a new idea just crazy enough to be good. Introducing Couch Soup. I know, I know, you're probably wondering, what is Couch Soup? Well, Couch Soup is content for your hungry nerd soul. Daily articles from fans, not pundits. Weekly podcasts that contain a multiverse of opinions on all things pop culture. Exclusive videos and weekly live streams where we laugh, scream, and sometimes have technical difficulties. All created by folks like you. The gamers, the film nerds, the TV bingers, comic book lovers, bookworms, and pop culture enthusiasts, all in one giant bowl of beautiful, disgusting, soupy goodness at CouchSoup.com. All Things Alice. This podcast will explore the cultural phenomenon of Alice in Wonderland as artistic landmark and global symbol of inspiration and imagination. I'm your host, Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy. Let's explore what is it about Alice? Welcome to the show, everybody. I am back with a international guest. Her name is Lenny DeRoy. Okay, that's the American pronunciation, so if I've butchered it, I apologize, but I'm super happy to have you all the way from the Netherlands. Thank you for coming on the show. By the way, anybody who's ever searched Alice in Wonderland on the internet in the last 27 years has probably landed on Lenny's website, aliceinwonderland.net. I was all over this thing when I was writing the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, it's excellent. You have to check it out. It is a deep rabbit hole. Among the many creative things that Lenny does is she's written an Alice in Wonderland sequel, Alice's Adventures Underwater. I mean, first of all, it's a really gutsy thing to do because she writes it in the same style as Lewis Carroll. The thing is, she pulls it off. It's excellent. So thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk to you about curating Alice for the internet. And of course, I want to hear how you became an Alice author. It's nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you too. Thank you. It's for... interesting that we can do that through Zoom. Yes, it's great. But I really am happy to have you on. I had seen your book, uh, Alice's Adventures Underwater, photographs of it or, you know, when I was scanning Amazon or, you know, it pops up a lot. And I was really curious. So um, uh, I'm happy that we're going to talk about it. I also didn't realize you had 42 illustrations in the book as well. I got to tell you, you are very brave because with <laughs> the Looking Glass Wars, I used Alice's Adventures as a jumping off place. And I felt like, okay, as long as I get the references correct, I, I should be I should be okay with real Alice fans. But mm. you decided to write a sequel, and uh, and you and you pulled it off because of all the different puns and all the references. And I want to get into that with you as well. My first question to you is: um, There seems to be two camps in the interpretation of Alice. There is the one camp, which is the, you know, sort of whimsical fantasy dream. 
And then there's the other camp that it's a nightmare and it's horror and it's sort of self-sustaining madness. And I'm pretty sure I understand, at least in terms of your book, what side of that that you fall on. But I was curious what your what your answer would be. Yes, I've never read it as nightmarish, but maybe that's also because I read it at a later age and uh, not as a child. So I wouldn't be able to, to say how it would have impacted me as a child. But to me, um, there actually is quite a bit of structure in the books, which is what I like, because the fun part of this story is that it turns around everything you know, but there is a structure to the madness. Mm. So that makes it not nightmarish to me at all. Right. There is um there when you say structure, are you are you talking about the plot or are you talking about the structure to the thematic references that Lewis Carroll is going for? Well, it's uh, to to us everything that encounters is nonsense. But for the characters in, in Wonderland and Looking Glass uh, world, it makes perfect sense because uh, things are the other way around. And there are puns that actually make sense to us if we look at it differently. So that's what I mean. With there, there actually is a structure. And it's not just completely random at all. Right. Because one of the things that I found in my reading was that there was a randomness to Alice's adventures as she's going along mm -hmm. and that things were happening to her. Um, and that she didn't have as much agency as the, you know, kind of reluctant hero story. But yeah. as I've reread it, you know, I can find more structure and more agency. It's just not so traditional in the hero who's finding their, their themselves and then going on to, you know, some victorious evolution. Yeah. Well, I think Alice's adventures in Wonderland is very episodical, and that's because of the way it 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 came into existence. Because it was told to the real Alice and the sisters in episodes, it was some kind of story that grew and grew over time. So that's what you still see in in the book. While the second book, Through the Looking Glass, uh, that's what uh, Lewis Carroll uh, could think about for much longer, and there is the the chess structure in it. That really guides the story. Yes, I agree with that. I think in the second book, it has it has a lot more structure. Where did this obsession, and it does seem like an obsession with you. <laughs> I mean, certainly it's a love story. I'm still denying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't deny it if anybody goes to aliceinwonderland.net and see that you've been working on this this website and adding to it. And it's one of the deepest sources of Lewis Carroll's works you can find on the internet. I, and I did read that you first fell for the story through the Disney movie, but right. then tell us what happened. Oh, uh, well, when I was a child, we were uh, watching all these movies that our parents taped for us. And when we were sick, we rewatched those movies and Alice in Wonderland from Disney. That was one of my favorite ones. And then I went to high school and we had to do, for English class, we had to do uh, uh, papers and stuff and presentations. And for one presentation, I chose uh, Alice uh, uh, as well as reading for our um, exams. We had to read a lot of books. And I decided to dive into Alice's Adventures in Wonderland because I thought, well, I already know Disney's movie, so how hard can it be to pass the exam about the book? <laughs> and only then I found out all, all these layers inside it and, and references to actual people. And I found it so interesting. And then I started gathering clippings in, in the library because we did not have the internet yet. You had to go to the library and, and make copies of things. And then I went to uh, to university and I got access to the internet and I saw like, oh, there's not that much online that I would have liked. So I was going to start my own website and it was a very basic one. Like everyone had made front page and this animated uh, images. Um, it was a part about me and my hobbies and Alice. And I got a lot of comments and visitors on the, the Alice section. So at some point, I decided, well, perhaps I should focus my whole website on the topic of Alice in Wonderland. 
And that's how it just got out of hand, I guess. Did you did so you didn't realize that at the time you were you were putting together your website that Alice is so deeply seated in culture and there's such a broad range of folks that are interested until you started to get those comments and people. And so you were kind of going with the audience. Oh, the audience wants, uh, the reader wants more on Alice. So I like, I like Alice. So let me expand. And through that, did your fascination grow? Uh, because the more you discovered, the more it revealed, Yes, but I've always been rather focused because I'm I'm not a collector of books or all all things Alice that uh, I can get my hands on. I've always focused on the backgrounds of the books, like what are the origin origins of the story, what are references to actual people, politics, what's the meaning behind the jokes. That's what always interested me, and I deliberately focus my website on that because there's just too much to tell about Alice in Wonderland. I'm sure you have many things in your podcast, and <laughs> it would completely get out of hand if I added that to my website. <laughs> I always say I I don't collect stuff; I collect information. Oh well, you do it it's very very easy to to collect that online because it does not take up any space. Your website's very deep, so it does take time to explore, but it's all really fascinating. But let's talk about Alice's adventures underwater because Lewis Carroll used a rabbit hole for, mm -hmm. well, let's just start with Lewis Carroll didn't invent the rabbit hole. Uh, of course, rabbits did, <laughs> but he did invent the rabbit hole or falling down the rabbit hole uh, for adventure. Uh, and that has gone on to penetrate pop culture for over the 150 years the book's been around. You, on the other hand, have used kind of an interesting two devices. You use Taking the Plunge, which is the title of the first chapter, and also the reflective surface of the water. And so when Alice falls in, dives in, falls in to the, takes the plunge, she finds herself underwater. Tell me about that conceptually, using water, using the reflective surfaces, what the kind of origins of your thinking. I thought it was really interesting and effective, and I'm just curious what was going on in your creative mind when you, when you came to that. Yeah, well, I wanted to make a, a continuation of the original books, but there are also still very many references to the originals. So her plunging into a lake is actually re uh, resembling to the fall down the rabbit hole. And uh, looking at the reflection of the water resembles the, the looking glass. So it's kind of a mashup of both things. And when she looks into the water reflection, she sees both uh, her reflection, what's behind her, and what's underneath the water. So it's like she sees herself and other things. And that's, uh, that's a bit of the theme. Yeah, I like that. I like that the the reflection um, part, and then the falling, and then the holding her breath, and then realizing that suddenly she can breathe. Um, yeah. Now, uh, can you give us a little uh, for our listeners? Can you give us a little the cliff notes for some of the characters? I mean, for instance, did the is is the Queen of Hearts? The queen bee, is there, are you making comparisons there or? Well, there are different levels of references to the original books. Like the queen bee is, there is a queen because Lewis Carroll's books had queens. So I thought there should be a queen. There's also uh, another cook. In, uh, in Carroll's book, there was a cook and I also have a cook. But then there's the jellyfish, who resembles a bit uh, the caterpillar because of his many legs, actually tentacles that he's folded, which is maybe a bit more re resemblant to Disney's version of the caterpillar when he sits on the, the mushroom with his legs folded. I wanted to have the jellyfish sit with folded tentacles. So that's a reference. And it's also, there's references for people who know the books very well, for example, the queen bee's husband, he's a wasp fish and he wears a very ugly wig. And then Alice asks, uh, why does he wear a wig? 
well, he, he wants to stand out because he always feels left out. And most people won't understand that reference. But if you know that in the original uh, Through the Looking Glass book, there's actually a missing chapter called The Wasp and a Wig. So if you know that, then you'll know that the Wasp character feels left out because he was taken out of the original book. Okay, so that's exactly what I'm talking about. I I, I would not have, I did not put that together. And so um, I'm sure our listeners would love that, and especially somebody who's read the book, because there's there's lots of those those things in your novel, which are, are really fun to discover. I even have one character that um, is based on an actual person within the Lewis Carroll Society community. <laughs> so he might recognize himself. Oh, I was I was going to ask you, uh, that was another question. I was wondering because, you know, Lewis Carroll made a lot of references to real people. And I was wondering if you made references, you know, to any friends or you made fun of, as you said, did you make fun of, tease anybody that if they read it, they would see that them, themselves in the book? Yeah, I thought about that, but I couldn't copy Lewis Carroll uh, exactly because, well, he's so famous. People studied his personal background and history. Um, I don't think anyone will do that with me, so they won't know my personal friends. <laughs> I would be honored if my book becomes that famous, but uh, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I should put in characters and references that most people or some people would recognize. So there was this reference to someone in the Lewis Carroll Society uh, and, and that I, I hope people will recognize by the description or the, the illustration. And I also uh, added references to uh, Trump, former United States president, because that should be a very obvious <laughs> reference. <laughs> positive. Was, references that, was that positive or negative? Um, I would say not that positive. <laughs> I'm sorry for everyone who supports him, but <laughs> well, I don't. There are so many really funny um, uh, political cartoons. Uh, I wrote a whole blog about the cartoons out there of making fun of um, using Alice in Wonderland to describe Trump. So back to your book for a second, because I really love the grooming fish. And uh, there was a couple of fun lines. Uh, one of them, I hope I get this right, a, a brush for your hair and a comb for your teeth. Uh, and then he goes on to say, or the fish goes on to say, humans wash with water and walk through air. We swim through water and wash with air. Mm -hmm. That made me giggle. I, 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 uh, I laughed over that. Um, so tell me about the grooming fish and the, you, you have to be a marine biologist to, um, to write this book. I did have to do some research on fish. I, I bet you did. So... And actually, my illustrator helped with that because he had to visualize those fish. And he, he named two things that I overlooked and that uh, I needed to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Yeah, I like the illustrations. Those were terrific. Um, Robert Lewis Black, that's the... That's the uh, that's the illustrator, correct? Yes. Yeah, yes. He, he was terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know his work. Um, I would love to share some of the images for listeners who want to come to the blog and see our interview. But why don't you tell us where what his background is, how you found him, and uh, I know the style is close to to Neil's, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It was a real challenge to find someone who could illustrate my book because 42 illustrations are not cheap. Yep. <laughs> so Indeed. I've considered several people and eventually I found Robert online on one of those platforms where artists offer their services and you can take a look at their portfolio mm -hmm. and say, well, I like that and let's discuss the price. And Robert is, is not a full-time illustrator. Uh, he is an aspiring illustrator he said, I would really, really like to, to uh, uh, provide work for your book. And he did some examples and I could see, well, this guy can draw in the style at once. So we, we had a great cooperation because I had several ideas about what I wanted uh, in the illustrations, very specific illustrations that I had in mind. And he drew them perfectly and he drew them until I was completely satisfied. 
On the other hand, there were also illustrations that I was like, I, I, I don't know, I just need 42. So the ones I don't have any specific ideas for, you're free to give your own interpretation. And he pulled that, as, that off very well as well. He even put some jokes into it himself. Well, that's excellent. I, and I believe that's how the collaboration with Lewis Carroll and Tennille went as well. That yes. Tennille had lots of things to, lots of creative ideas to offer Lewis Carroll, correct? Yes. Yeah. And he also corrected me because, for example, in my story, there's a cobbler, um, a cobbler fish, which is also someone who makes shoes. So I, I had the idea of having him wear two shoes on the, the points of his tail. And then Robert said, well, Lenny, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to draw that? Because a cobbler does not have a, a tail with two, two points. It has an ear-like uh, tail. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I guess he's wearing them on the fins on his sides then. <laughs> uh, well, that's where the research comes in and the collaboration yes. comes in. <laughs> I I found the collaboration with artists to be deeply, deeply satisfying. It also reminded me of Christmas. Suddenly in my email box, there would be a gift of an image from the world that was only living in my mind. And now it has been expressed through another human being's art. And when it was working, it was so deeply satisfying that I became a little bit addicted to the to the exchange. Hey, let me write a little description, or as you pointed out, hey, I, I need you to interpret this because I have no idea what the card soldiers look like when they fold up, and so I'm calling on you. And when that exchange happened, it was um, it was such a beautiful, satisfying moment. Did you have the same feeling or? Yes, um, I think Robert was very dedicated to getting things exactly right, but he, he, he was able to make my ideas so much better. I can't draw for the life of me. I sometimes made some sketches, and this is the general idea I have, and they look very crappy. And then if you compare those to what he drew, then I'm like, wow, you're, you're just the perfect guy for this job. Yeah, I'm so well, happy that I found him. Well, you and I have that in common. Terrible at drawing. So <laughs> I think crappy would be how people would describe my um, art skills as well. So which is probably why it's so satisfying when somebody who's masterful can deliver yeah. on the concept. That's another parallel with Lewis Carroll because he drew the illustrations for the manuscript he wrote for Alice. And then when he went to publish his book, he realized, well, I can't draw that well. So I really need a professional artist. But it was not bad. I mean, I got to say, from my, my my viewing of it, it was pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. For anybody who hasn't looked um, at the Lewis Carroll original manuscript with his original drawings, you should find them online. They're easy to find. Um, but I, I found it. If I was able to do that, my artist would have been way ahead of the game. <laughs> he, I thought he did a pretty good job. And he also, you know, the way that he wrote some of the poems also was quite interesting. And I think Tennille copied some of that. Is that right? Or am I just making that up? I we can find some parallels to Lewis Carroll's original drawings and Tenniel's drawings, yes. It's, it's unclear how, how deliberately he, he worked, reworked Carroll's drawings. Um, he always claimed to, to work from his own imagination and, and there were things very hard that he did, did not need any models. But he, he must have seen the original manuscript, so it could have very well be influenced. Influence, and Carol may have asked him to draw something a certain way. Not much of that conversation has been kept, unfortunately. But there were a number of letters between them, and certainly Tennille wrote a lot of letters to, I think, to the publisher and even to Alice, correct? I don't know if he wrote to Alice, but yes, several letters have been kept. For example, the letter in which he advises uh, Carol to um, get rid of the wasp ch chapter because oh. um, he couldn't find his way to a picture, he said. Oh. So maybe Tenniel, he did have an influence on the story as well, not just the illustrations. Well, that alone is a big influence. I mean, yeah. cutting a chapter because he couldn't find the his way into the art. Um, mm -hmm. That's, well... 
folks, you can find that on Lenny's website, aliceinwonderland.net, and many other really interesting pieces of information of this book that was written 157, 158 years ago that we're still talking about. <laughs> we should be so lucky. We should be so lucky. Yeah. Yeah, right? We should <laughs> be so lucky to... Like, about our book yeah, <laughs> if we can at least get through our lifetime, we'd be happy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let alone <laughs> afterwards. So I just, you know, so uh, did you have so much fun coming up with the uh, with the puns? Yeah, a lot. And and some I had to think about for a long time, but most of them just came so easily. Yeah. Um, I think it's as Lewis Carroll said himself, some things just came by themselves. And I, I wrote down things when I uh, thought of them. And then I thought, how can I use them in this book? That's that's that that's when you know you're onto something. So, well, how, do you enjoy writing poems or prose? Um, is one because they're so different? Do you find one easier than the other? Because there's quite a few. Uh, there's quite a few. Quite a bit of poetry in this book. Mm -hmm. That was really hard writing the poetry. I like writing both prose and and poetry, but um, I've had most struggles with the poetry because. Lewis Carroll's poetry is so good, it's very hard to live up to that. I'm not sure if I succeeded, but I wanted to give it a try. And I had many discussions with my proofreader about the uh, metrum. Is that the right word? Mm -hmm. Yep. Because I'm not a native speaker, so I had um, well some idea about how to pronounce the words, the right cadence, where to put the emphasis. But there were the slight nuances that... I did not pick up on, and that had to be changed. So most changes were made in the poems afterwards before publication. Yeah. Like I said, to open this this uh, podcast, you're a very, very brave creative <laughs> force. So, uh, but actually, I, I do have to say that writing poetry in English is still a bit easier than writing poetry in Dutch. Even though it's not my native language, I think English has more, much more rhyming words mm. than Dutch. It's easier to match them. Okay, well, on that note, I'm going to ask you to read a little bit from your book, because in chapter five, uh, there's a very nice poem. The chapter is called The Well of Fishes. I'm wondering if people will recognize its origins. Three times when I let up primes, I was distraught. Seven pages homework somehow getting burned. Nine nights of studying all for naught. One error made and not a lesson learned. From the school of Lake Town, where the cod are taught. One fish to teach them all, one fish to commend them, one fish to test them all, and in the end suspend them. From the school of Lake Town, where the cod are taught. Excellent. Do you want to share the origin that you were teasing before you started that? Wondering if any of us know what that's from, because you're the expert. All of <laughs> us, all of us novice, would love to know. Give us the yeah. inside scoop. Well, the hint is in uh, one fish, fish to teach them all. It's uh, a reference to one ring to rule them all, oh. which makes you a clue. <laughs> <laughs> clever, clever. Yeah. Um, did you have any hesitation in taking on such a childhood classic um, as Alice's Adventures in Wonderland? Of course, I was hesitant because... I wanted it to be done right or not at all. But, well, I, I've had this website for so many years. I know so much about the story and its background. I felt confident about understanding all aspects of the original books. So I, I did know what to put into it. It needed to have poetry. It needed to have uh, 12 chapters. It needed to have 42 illustrations. It needed to have puns and, and things like that. So the, the, I felt confident about that. The challenge was to create a good story that was Carol-worthy. I was uh, presenting it to my proofreader, who is also into Alice in Wonderland, and uh, he liked it. I thought that was a good sign. <laughs> and I just went ahead and decided to publish it. And let's see how people uh, receive it. When you go to dinner and you told people that you were working on a sequel to the Alice books, do you have the 
like the 30 second version of what the book is and what you're aspiring to? To normal people who are not very into Lewis Carroll and all the background <laughs> of his stories, I would say it's, it's a sequel and it's uh, written in the same style as Lewis Carroll wrote his original Alice stories, but with more recent uh, references and jokes and, and puns. So people that live in the now will understand because Carol's books, you really need to know something about Victorian times to understand all the jokes. So this is a Alice version for modern readers. Right. So it's a contemporary version uh, in terms of some of the puns and the jokes and the references. Um, yes. You want to give us an example of something recognizable in terms of your book that we would we would be in on the joke? Yeah. Well, for example, there's a reference uh, to Brexit. Oh. So that's a political joke. Mm -hmm. And I've had parodies in the books that are from, from older poems, like The Raven from Edgar Allan Poe, but also more modern uh, songs and poems that people will recognize now, like The Lord of the Rings poem. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. I think people really love that. I don't know if you've seen the Wicked musical or read the Wicked. Have you read Gregor Maguire's I've novel? I've seen the musical. Yeah. Well, he's, people love that. They love guessing and trying to figure out what the, the backstory and the references are. So there's yeah. so much of that in your book for people to enjoy. Yeah. Hey, um, curious, curiouser and curiouser, why do you think Alice still matters? I think it's one of those stories that everyone can read into what they want. It's it's for children, it's for adults. You can read it as just a funny tale. You can read it like me with all the references and trying to find out where he was referring to. You can read it as something spiritual, something related to drugs, anything you want, you can find in the story. And, and, and that's makes it appeal to so many people. Because it's this story has really captured the collective consciousness. Um, and I think it probably has done that because of what you just said. Everybody can take something out of it and interpret things in the way they want. And also thematically, it's about, it's really so much about who you are. You know, she asked that, who am I? And mm -hmm. we're always evolving as people. I'm curious, because there's so much Alice out there, how do you hope that your book will add to the Alice canon? Well, there are many books written that are inspired by Lewis Carroll's tales, but in different ways. Like, your books have taken inspiration from it, and you made this whole new world, and a completely different take on the story. And there's a lot of people who are interested in that. And I wanted to target another audience, like more the, the people who want to, to read more of the original tales, like staying very true to this original story, or the people who are more scholarly interested in, in the books. So I wanted to give them something. Yes, I didn't realize how many collectors there were and how many Alice scholars. I mean, I did know about all the Lewis Carroll societies. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very rich and very deep. Um, mm -hmm. I, I ask all my guests, um, if they were a character from Lewis Carroll's books, who would they be? I'm going to ask you the same question, but because you wrote the sequel, I'm going to throw your book into it as well. So you can pick from all any of the trilogy. <laughs> pick from the trilogy. <laughs> well, I thank you. Well, actually, I don't identify with any of the characters. I would say I'm identify more with Lewis Carroll himself, with Charles Dodson. Tell me as why. As being the writer of a book, but I also, I am a person with many hobbies and interests like him, and I, I, I can relate to him a lot. So um, are you really into math? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> My book does contain math jokes, but they're not that complex. <laughs> 
Well, I think you're. I do like logic. <laughs> you, you do like logic, okay? And um, and you are really creative. Uh, you're a creative human in all sorts of capacities. And he was very creative with his photography and cutting edge at the time. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions. So there's the misconception that he was reclusive, and you know he never married. And I'm assuming you're not. Maybe you are reclusive. Are you? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually a kind of a social person. I like locking myself up in my room for all my hobbies, but at other times I like meeting people and, and doing fun things together. As did Lewis Carroll, because, yeah, I think the recluse myth was created because maybe because he wanted to distanti distantiate himself from his pen name. So he did not like to publicly acknowledge that he was Lewis Carroll. He said, I'm, I'm Charles Dodson. Of course, he had a religious background, so maybe that's why he never married. But he was a social person. He had lots of friends, not only child friends. And he also visited many famous people. He was a bit of a lion hunter, I understood. Oh, so I didn't know that. This, yeah, and he had dinner dates and uh, went out to the beach. And yeah, I would say he's social as well. Well, this is great. I mean, because you would know, um, because there was also, you know, people wrote that the books were written just for children, which we clearly know they were not. People think that he was, the stories were written about taking drugs, things like that. They clearly were not. What, But what's interesting about that comment is that culturally, Alice is always representing what's going on. So yes, if you're reading this book during the 60s, um, then you would see it as sort of a psychedelic trip falling down the rabbit hole. But if you're reading it during his era, it's a completely different lens that you're reading the book through. There was a few other references, and, and, and there was also the whole thing with Alice Little and the missing the missing uh, diary pages, and that seems to be really intriguing, and that that picked up a lot of internet buzz about, you know, a lot of conspiracy theorists, mm -hmm. right? You I like mean, a good mystery. Yeah, you you must know about that. Um, yeah. I used the missing diary pages as a device to say those pages were taken out because he didn't want to tell the true story of meeting Alice Hart from my book. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I also used the Lewis Carroll Society as somewhat of a, a villain who didn't want my book to uh, to come out. And so- They were very grateful for that, weren't they? <laughs> oh, they were fine. They were fine. So, well, okay, back to your hobbies because music- and you also are a seamstress. You make clothing. Yes. But interestingly enough, I haven't seen you in any Alice in Wonderland cosplaying or doing any of that, promoting your book. What's, <laughs> why not? You should be at Comic-Cons with your book dressed as Alice. <laughs> and, you know, maybe in a tank. Instead of having a, instead of having a booth, you'd be in a tank. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> Maybe a bit of a logistic challenge, but... <laughs> but you would get a lot of attention and you'd sell a lot of books. Yeah, well, good idea. I will look into that. <laughs> Actually, I do own an Alice costume, which I've seen myself, but I have not worn it for promotional activities. What are you thinking, girl? Come on. <laughs> Let's make the connection. You should be recording with your bagpipe uh, Alice songs dressed as Alice with the book cover everywhere. I, I did play in a band called Tweedledum and Tweedledee. I, I, I did see that. I thought that was very fun. So that yeah. that's cool. How often would you um, perform? Well, Tweedledum and Tweedledee does not exist anymore. Unfortunately, my, my bandmate passed away. So I'm now in two other bands. I'm in a medieval band, and we play mostly during festival season and the end of spring until beginning of autumn uh, at medieval festivals. And I'm also in a ball folk band. Ball folk is traditional West European music. Uh, it's mostly performed for, for dancers uh, as, as live performances. And it, well, it depends how often we play um, several times a year. Is this something that is a hobby or that you're trying to make more into a, a career? Are you recording music or is it 
for fun. I call myself a semi-professional. Semi-professional? It's more than a hobby, but I do have a job uh, beside the music and the book and the studio sewing and things. Uh, I have uh, I work for the four days a week in marketing communications department at a university oh. because I do like some stability when it comes to finances and music that's still yes yes I so I do not know if I would like the the lifestyle that comes with being a full time musician because it's a lot of working at nights and in weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on your screen, because we're doing this on Zoom, uh, you have some Alice art. You have a you have a mushroom. You have the cat smiling. Oh, speaking of that, your cat, your what is what was it called? What was your cat called? Oh, in the book, it was called Velikins. What is it? Villikins. Oh yes. Yeah. So, so tell us about your, your cat, your, your character. <laughs> well, actually, that's a reference for people who are more knowledgeable about the background of Lewis Carroll's uh, and Alice, because the real Alice actually owned cats. Uh, in the original books, she has Dinah, which was Dinah. actually one of her kittens, and another one of their cats was called Villikins. So in my book, Alice tells the, it's a meerkat actually, not a real cat, but she tells him about Dinah. So that's a reference. And, and now she meets Villikins, which actually, well, the litter mate, I guess. We'll see. I can pull this out of you eventually. We get these little tidbits if I, if I keep <laughs> trying. Tell me about um, some of the artists that you love um, that have depicted Lewis Carroll. Are there any favorites? Um, obviously, Tennille, but... I, I think I am a Tennille fan. I'm, I'm not into collecting books from other illustrators. There are so many to choose from. I can say, well, I like some of the illustrations, but I... I I'm not a real fan of someone in particular. The The image I now have in my Zoom background is one that was done by someone for a contest, an online contest. I just like this particular image, so I saved it. So you're a traditionalist. <laughs> yes, I, I, I guess you can say that. So that's also why I wanted my illustrator to draw in the style of John Tenniel. Well, it was terrific. Can you share a little bit about the website and maybe... Give us some, I don't know, some interesting little facts and of Lewis Carroll that are more obscure, uh, or at least that you would think, you know, mainstream audience would find interesting. For instance, the White Rabbit and the White Rabbit's obsession with time. It's my understanding that he w- it was a satire on. British culture and being very punctual. And if you're not punctual, it was seen as, you know, a negative. There are many theories theories about the origins of the characters. It's also said that Lewis Carroll modeled White Rabbit after Alice's father, Dean Little, the dean of the Christ Church, um, because he apparently was often running late, but <laughs> there's no real proof that that was the case or not. But that's fun. That's just fun. <laughs> that's just fun information. So um, you put things, examples like that on your website? Mm-hmm. Yeah, many things. Um, I mostly focus on things that there's a little more proof of, or it's more likely that it's true. And also more about the origins of the story, like everyone imagines Alice with a blue dress the original illustrations were black and white. So what would Carol have had in mind? First illustrations that were officially published in his books were Alice in a yellow dress. But there was also merchandise showing her in a red dress or a blue dress. So Disney was not the first depicting her in a blue dress, but did make it iconic. So I'm trying to add those things to the website so people will know more about how these things come to pass. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that there were, I knew about the yellow, but I didn't know about a red dress. What is the indication that there was a red dress? I think it was on the merchandise. Mm. He had many... Wait, wait, Lewis Carroll was selling merchandise back then? He had this biscuit tin. I'm I'm not sure I should look it up, but some were produced with his permission. Mm. He also produced his own stamp case. Oh, Okay. So he, he was quite a bit of commercially talented. Wow, he was yeah. way ahead of his time. I mean, authors yeah. weren't doing that. That's that's really interesting. 
he was always focused on how to promote the story and uh, how it, how much it should cost and who should be able to afford it. So he was he th- thought about those things. Yeah. What are some of your favorite references of Alice in pop culture? Mostly a fan of Disney's cartoon Alice in Wonderland because that's just my childhood thing. And it just it led me to the books. I'm less of a fan of uh, the Tim Burton movie. That's too too far from the original story. But I am grateful to him that this movie also leads more people to the original books. Because in ever so many years, something comes out that is popular among the new generation. And that really helps to keep them interested in Lewis Carroll's books. What did, you, though, what did you think of um, Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter? I actually parodied him in my book. <laughs> You okay? See, I feel like I'm mining and I'm getting these little gold nuggets. Eventually, I'm going to have all of them by the end of this interview. Okay, tell my, us, my ab- secret, tell us about, tell us about that. My secret desire is that once someone publishes an annotated version about my book, as Martin Gardner did for the Alice books, <laughs> we'll, so I'm we'll, not going to tell you everything. Uh, there should be something to figure uh, out. Also, there's way too much in there to put into one podcast. Well, don't underestimate me. I, can, <laughs> I might be on this podcast for four or five more hours. <laughs> but wait, 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 wait. You're really into music. So I thought you might reference, you know, some song or some musician who's used Alice um, in, uh, in pop culture um, because there's, there's so much of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I do know some songs uh, related to Alice, but I'm I'm not really into all those pop culture uh, inventions. I'm I'm more about the book origins. That's my focus. So when I say you're a traditionalist, that is a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> I'm not saying that all the other uh, things are, are not relevant or shouldn't be there. I, I I really love how people get inspired by the stories. It's just, I have to have a focus or I'll, I'll be all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, your, um, you know, your website, I, when did you start that? I, it's so deep. I, how long have you been working on it? Uh, it all started in December, 1997. So that's what, 25 wow. years ago, yes. even longer, longer, 26, yeah. I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's really That's why uh, it's so expansive. It, yeah, it's really expansive, but it's also um, it's a great resource, and it does feel like a work of passion and love, and um, it's well, it's well, you know, you can it's it's easy to navigate. There's lots to love about your website. I didn't realize I, I had been utilizing it because when I went to do a little bit of research, I went. I've been on this website a million times. <laughs> I'm always looking at this website. I'm like, wow, I get to interview the person who created it. Okay. Well, I'm famous without knowing it. <laughs> you... I, I, I like your compliment because uh, my, my daytime job is being an online marketeer and I focus on usability. Uh, I, I do want my website to be user-friendly and I also, I, I do not want them to be very commercial. That's easy to become when you're a marketeer. But I want to spread knowledge. I want people to know about the origins and be able to look up everything. So that's my, my little collection that's open for everyone. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a great resource. And, um, you know, from everybody out there that's an Alice fan, you know, thank you for giving us a... Um, a website that we can navigate down the rabbit hole into Wonderland and find our way home. (laughs) Yeah, that would be something to make you get lost there. So before we go, tell us, are you, are you planning on writing any more fiction, uh, any more in the Alice universe? And lastly, I know this is three questions where we can find your book, where can listeners find your book? I have been asked whether I will write another sequel, but it's not on my to-do list. I think this book was on my bucket list. It just had to happen sometime. 
I'm not saying I will never write another book again. I do blog a lot, my personal blog and uh, on my uh, Alice Wonderland website. I will fro- focus on that from now. And my website is also where you can find the book. You can buy it on alisonwonderland.net. But you can also find it on Amazon um, and in and bookshops. You can just order it uh, from your local bookstore or online bookstores. Well, do you have one line from Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures that you want to share with us before we go? One line. <laughs> well, one one quote or line or... Yeah, uh, there's a certain passage that I like. It's, it's actually a a passage that's not often being quoted. Yes, it's a, it's a passage in Through the Looking Glass. It's when Alice encounters a door and she wants to enter. And there's a frog. And she has this conversation with the frog that I, for some reason, find immensely funny. I can't pinpoint the reasons, but I really like it. So, uh, well, please read it to us. Be- read it to us. That'd be great. What is it now? The frog said in a deep, hoarse whisper. Alice turned round ready to find fault with anybody. Where's the servant whose business it is to answer the door? She began angrily. Which door? said the frog. Alice almost stamped with irritation at the slow drawl in which he spoke. This door, of course. The frog looked at the door with his large, dull eyes for a minute. Then he went nearer and rubbed it with his thumb, as if he were trying to, trying whether the paint would come off. Then he looked at Alice. To answer the door, he said. What's it been asking of? He was so hoarse that Alice could scarcely hear him. I don't know what you mean, she said. I talk English, doesn't I? The frog went on. Or are you deaf? What did it ask you? Nothing, Alice said impatiently. I've been knocking at it. Shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that, the frog muttered. Vex is it, you know. Then he went up and gave the door a kick with one of his great feet. You let it alone, he panted out as he hobbled back to his tree. And I'll let you alone, you know. <laughs> I, I I like this door discussion, so I put a door discussion in my book as well. <laughs> I'm ending this interview with another nugget, listeners. I don't know how many I've pulled out of her, but I feel <laughs> triumphant. <laughs> you won. <laughs> I told you more than I wanted to. <laughs> You're a very good interviewer. <laughs> well. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on our show, All Things Alice. If there is a perfect guest who knows all things Alice, it is you, Lenny. So hats off. Thank you very much for having me. It was my honor. It was really fun. Thank Thank you you so much. See you later. You haven't even paid me from last time. I haven't watched Halo either. I'm going to summarize Halo Season 2, based on the Watching Now Halo podcast from Couch Soup. This is going to be fun. So Chief could be crazy. (laughs) Cortana's had a facelift. We're a bit mixed. Quan and Soren's story is really boring. Is is it over yet? Reach is f***ed. Reach for the stars. You all are gonna die. Spartans have a new leader called Ackerson. More like Dickerson. Apparently McKee is alive? She didn't die on screen, so she's probably not dead. Key's definitely not dying. Right, right, right. And the flood is coming. There's the water on this planet. What do I know? You should be listening to the Watching Now Halo podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available. Where's my money, Drew?